dude, you're good. Just pack it up. You're 45 years old. Hang out with your kids. Hang out with Giselle. Kick back and accept that you're going out on top. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 79, the Alexi Yashin edition of the podcast. What an absolute legend he was. Drafted second overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1992. What he's, of course, most infamous for is holding out for the season, leading to the Sens shipping him to Long Island. Let's just say Senators fans weren't super warm and fuzzy toward Yashin for that. When he went to the Islanders, he wore number 79 and played five solid seasons for them. His greatest contribution to his former club, however, was the haul they received in the trade in 2001. They were able to turn him into Big Zidane Ochara, who's still playing in the NHL. The second overall pick, which was the Butron Jason Spezza, who also is still playing hockey for the Maple Leafs now. But most importantly, Bill McCult. Good old Billy. He scored a grand total of zero goals in 70 games for the Sens. Back in high school in Iron Prior, I was something of an Islanders and, of course, Maple Leafs fan, basically only to troll Ottawa fans since they hated Yashin so much. Funnily enough, years later, I was in my hometown when I heard Yashin was actually in the Nick Smith Center there too, as the general manager of the Russian women's team playing a tournament. Sadly, I did not meet him, although it was at that rink as a kid that I did meet Bobby Orr, and I asked him to sign my Maple Leafs hat. I don't think he was super thrilled about that. However, speaking of things that I am thrilled about, is talking to my next guest. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on a very special guest. He's one half of the duo of the radio show First Up on TSN 1050 in Toronto, and he works for TSN Edge as well. It's Aaron Karolnik. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Aaron. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hound Dog, what's up, man? It's great to be here. I'm pumped. Let's get to it. What are we talking about today? Well, that's awesome. Well, I, I actually, I have had your uh, co-host, Carlo Koliakovo, on episode 47 of this oh, podcast. Oh, really? And he bashed you big time. So I figured it was only fitting that I give you the floor to bash him back right here and right now. Well, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit, Hound Dog. I mean, like, you at least challenge me. Bash Koliakovo. I can think of a lot more difficult things to do than bash the most easily bashed human one could uh, imagine. I think I could think of, I don't know, his 210 yard cuts off the tee on a golf course. Pretty embarrassing, <laughs> but that uh, does not even come close to the most embarrassing thing he does in the golf course, which of course he's become notorious for in a positive fashion. Almost how, I don't know. This has become like almost like a, an affable thing with regards to Carlos personality, but the fishing on the golf course, a true disgrace, something I've, seen firsthand before and it's appalling the groups behind looking and and in complete astonishment as this man casts a line and is very excited celebrating the uh the fish that are being reeled in while groups behind waiting for him to move his ass and get on with his <laughs> round but he didn't care and um, i actually don't know what carlos said about me and i'm, I'm hopeful you didn't just set me up to uh, rip into Koliakovo, but if you did, that's good hosting. Well done. Uh, I definitely did. Uh, he didn't rip you at all. I definitely did that for sure uh, on purpose. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the first time he ever did uh, decide to fish in the golf course, he was telling me about that. I couldn't, um, I was just so blown away by this. The first time he ever did that, wh what were you thinking in, in that moment? Well, I had known he was going to do it because he has a fishing rod in his bag. So I'm like, pretty good indication that there was going to be some fishing going on. <laughs> but when he actually cast a line, I'm like, dude, also, I remember that day I was, I was like pretty dialed in. I think I, 
I, I'm pretty sure I broke 80. We were at uh, nice. TPC Osprey Valley. So good oh, golf course. Love that place. I was feeling good. And he's like fishing. I'm like, bro, let's go. Come on. I'm feeling it. Like, let's got to keep the momentum. He's like, like, this is a great pond for fish. Like, I got to take advantage of this. And I was like, oh, God. This is the last time I'm playing with him. And then probably 40 times after that of, <laughs> of rounds together, my frustration continues. But – all you got to do with Coleacapo is just find a golf course that doesn't have any water on it. Unfortunately, you need to go to like Bandon Dunes to find that. So pretty tough in Ontario. It's just so funny to think that, you know, when the first time he ever did that, you know, whoever was behind him or in his group for that matter, must have just been like, what in the living hell is going on? But it actually, I must say, it's, it's, it's kind of brilliant. No. Well, you know what's funny? We had Bo Van Pelt on, longtime PGA Tour player, still acting to this day. And Carlo asked him. Uh, I asked him, like, so, like, what do you think of the fishing? He's like, oh, I love fishing on the course. And I don't think I've ever seen a human being as happy as Carlo was in that moment, kind of vindicating the unvindicatable, if that is indeed a word, which I'm certain it's not. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> we're, we're just in broadcasting, so it's not like we need linguistics in any positive way. So, in any case, you know what? I, 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 at this point in time, considering the weather and uh, the times in which we live, I would be happy if Carlo golf uh, fish for four hours in the golf course and maybe we can get out there or at least get outside. So yeah, absolutely. One of these days. One of uh, these days. Hopefully here in a few months, and then hopefully in Ontario, like last year, it doesn't get you know stopped uh, or shut down golf no. for a little while. But I would just no, be absolutely. Don't you dare! Don't you dare even suggest such an abomination. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so bad. Eh? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, tell me about your uh, career path to get to where you are now on uh, TSN Radio. Uh, yeah, sure. So I was always a huge sports fan growing up. And it was always my passion. Fantasy sports and betting, even from a very young age, was really my go-to in almost every respect. Like, I think you talk to anybody who I grew up with, they kind of it was pretty evident from an early age that sports was going to be the path I took for my career. I just didn't know if it was going to be sports media or I don't know, try to pursue a career in a professional sports realm. Or Definitely not an athlete, I can tell you that. <laughs> but when I was at Western... I did some stuff for the newspaper and the radio station, the television station. I was getting a lot of experience. I was actually a diligent worker at that point in time as compared to now. Yeah, where I, yeah. Well, whatever. And, uh, you know, in between all the hangovers, I was really productive. So I kind of took a keen interest in sports broadcasting there. And after Western, I went to Centennial College, which has produced a, a number of uh, great broadcasters, uh, all across Canada and North America at this point, and certainly a lot better better than, uh, than I am. That goes without saying. But uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Jim Taddy while I was there, and he set me up with an intern internship with TSN Radio, which had just launched in uh, April of 2012, 2011, 2012, whatever it was. And uh, kind of the rest is history. I just was a producer and a board operator, and I kind of just worked my way up and then, I found a way to force Michael Landsberg to retire by threats, and then uh, I just took his job. So that's kind of how that worked out. Um, uh, how much do you hate uh, waking up so early for <laughs> for the show? Because uh, basically, when your show's on, is when I'm basically pretty much going to sleep. Yeah, just to clarify, I did not actually threaten <laughs> no. Landsberg. Isn't my good fellas? That was a joke. Yeah, no, but not for uh, sure. yes, uh, I do wake up uh, very early. Not so much as I used to when I had to go into the studio. Now I just do my show from the living room, kitchen, whatever. I guess I live in a condo in Toronto. It's all just one room anyways. And I just kind of just do it from my table so I don't have to wake up as early as I did previously when I have to go into the office. 
So it's I'll probably wake up at five fifteen, which is well, really early. But I mean, there's plenty of people out there with kids who are waking up at six and then doing their jobs from nine to five and then taking care of their kids. So really, I have no foot to stand on with regards to complaints. I am very blessed to be done work, and I use that very loosely at ten a.m. Our show goes from six a.m. to ten a.m., and then I kind of use the rest of the day just to get ready for the next day. Well, I was just going to say that. What uh, what time uh, can listeners expect to hear that? So yeah, six to ten uh, a.m. Uh, Monday to Friday, TSN ten fifty in Toronto. Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm usually going to bed at like four thirty five. So I'm not going to lie, I uh, I haven't listened to a whole lot really. You know, it's. Um, podcast i know i know it goes up against the h dog pod which is well, which is tough i mean as i understand but you know what i would encourage your listeners how dog to do subscribe to both h dog pod first up you have the most the best both the best of both worlds <laughs> it's true yeah and just the you know, listeners galore obviously and uh have you ever had any uh uh like i guess uh some people that, you, that you've interviewed that you've just you know just it was the coolest thing sort of a bucket list type of thing uh in, in your career Hmm, good question. Good question. I asked bucket list? Not, I would say nothing too, like, bucket listy yet. And, I mean, it, it's hard because I think, and, and you could certainly speak to this, having been in the industry for so long, you almost become a little bit desensitized to, like, when I was a kid, if I got the opportunity to speak to, like, Duffy, or, and this would be probably a B-bag example, or Jay Onright, or Darren Detention. I was such big fans of them growing up. Mm-hmm. I would just be like stuttering and like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to these guys. Wow, this is crazy. But now just like kind of being in the industry and and doing the things that I've done over the course of the last decade or so, I wouldn't say there has been anything like that yet. But I mean, like we've talked to a lot of NFL and NHL and NBA players. And I mean, I guess like we've had Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster on not too long ago uh, from the Toronto Raptors. So uh, I wouldn't say there's a bucket list, but I guess if there was, like certainly, I mean, if you can get Tiger Woods on, like I'm such a big fan of golf mm-hmm. that basically any active player on the PGA Tour, whether it's, I don't know, Michael Thompson or Michael Gligich. Like, it don't even matter. I would just be so excited to talk to any, to any golfer. John uh, Daly? It's just, John sure, Daly, my John favorite. John Daly would just be outstanding if that opportunity ever arose. But I don't think I've hit the bucket list moment quite yet. That sounds like one extended brag on your part, and I love it so much. So uh, that, that's that's great. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Well, I'm hopeful, the, but the, well, I mean, you know what? The real bucket list hound dog is this conversation with you. So. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I don't, can't blame yeah. you for that. Uh, on the flip yeah. side of that, then, has there any been ever? I always like to ask this question: Has there ever been like embarrassing moments where, or you asked a question, and as soon as you said it, you're just like, "Oh my god!" And you just like, "Oh, what have I done?" Oh, I mean, how long do you have here? But what time does your role stop on this interview? I, mean, so, yeah, I think we have countless sixty-three well, hours. I think it is. Well, I mean, there you go. I will say I've only been doing my current job for like four months as the host of the show before I was just the producer. So my I guess my experience is somewhat limited in that respect. And my number of of opportunities to screw up in (laughs) in massive ways hasn't been that extensive. But I mean, there's been so many issues, so many times where, you know, we screw up the pronunciation of a name or I remember one time in the not too distant past. I kind of got guests mixed up as far as which time they were coming on. Mm. So I'm like, all right, like now joining us to discuss, uh, you know, the Leafs win last night over the New York Rangers is guest X. I can't remember who it was. And then like 
they're like, oh, it's actually, no, no, it's not this guy. It's this guy. He's coming up later. But, oh, sorry. I mean, it was actually the other guy. I'm like, oh, okay. And the guy on the phone is probably like, what type of loser is interviewing my amateur hour over here? And, you know, it's something that uh, our guests have become accustomed to with regards to my incessant screw up. So, alas, you know, still employed, I think, for now. I haven't checked my email today. So, I'm still rocking and rolling, unfortunately. One I, the one I always like to reference, uh, I remember saying on this podcast, because uh, I'm a big-time grammar nerd uh, in terms of, you know, I just, it drives me crazy when people can't spell, you know, when they spell lose with Agreed. two O's for something or, you know, the your, your. Yeah. And I, I went on this big rant about it, and I accidentally said, instead of saying I'm a huge grammar nerd, I accidentally said I'm a, I'm a huge grandma nerd, which uh, that has a, quite a bit different context uh, by saying that one, you know? Most definitely, yeah. You got to be careful with that. And the thing about about live programming is, you know, you could go back, you could tell your producers, and I mean, I've done it before. Hey, go back. You might want to like scrub that from the podcast. So yeah, because it was really, really bad. Or, <laughs> um, you know, let's maybe let's uh, try to you know, pretend this never happened. But when you're doing it live, there's always someone driving and they're listening, and maybe they won't be able to retrieve the audio themselves, but they heard it and want to hear something. It's always out there in the ether. So that's the uh, that's the only thing about live radio is, yeah, there's a seven-second delay back in the studio, but if the guy at the controls isn't paying attention and he doesn't really care if you screw up, <laughs> doesn't have your back, it can go south very quickly. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always funny to... To think about, you're just like, oh no, what have I done? But it's, I kind of find it funny as long as it's not a horrible mix-up, uh, you know, because everyone makes mistakes, obviously. Sometimes it's just funny to uh, make fun of them, and that's why, uh, you know, working on the FC with Jay Onright show, I love that the segment at the end of the show is you blew it. He just makes fun of his mistakes. Like, as long as, again, it's not like something horrifically brutal where you have to fix again, just making fun of uh, mistakes, is uh, it's kind of fun. Oh, well, I think that's the, that's the beauty of radio in so many respects, and that's why... A show like Overdrive has been, at least in part, well, there's a lot of reasons Overdrive's been so successful, but they poke fun at themselves. And if they screw something up, they laugh about it. And that's sometimes the best content that they come up with is just, oh, like this guy, I don't know, like think about like the uh, Jeff O'Neill, is there ketchup on that during Trade Center or Free Agent Frenzy or whatever it was? Hey, how many hours of content (laughs) emerged, not only on Overdrive, but on radio, on TV, uh, everywhere at TSN and otherwise? based on that one screw up by whatever tech guy refused to, or just mistakenly had O'Neill's mic up when it should have been down and whoever he knows what really transpired. But sometimes in broadcasting, the the stuff that gets the, the best reaction is when you screw up because it's a human moment <laughs> and we all know we're all humans. And I think that was, that's what makes people uh, so relatable on the air. And I think being relatable is, is extremely important. Is there ketchup on that? Absolutely. Yeah. The one mistake that uh, O-Dog made the other day, uh, thinking that uh, Brian Hayes said the Sacramento Kings are like the most uh, irrelevant franchise, and then he said, no way, they won five titles with Tim Duncan, and obviously he meant the San Antonio Spurs. Jeff O'Neill on that one, that, that was good for some laughs as well, because... Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's not wrong. The Sacramento Kings, unfortunately, last 20 years anyway, have done uh, virtually nothing, that's for sure. I still think back to those classic Sacramento Kings teams, mm. the uh, Chris Weber, Brad Miller, Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, Divac. Oh, Kenny Thomas. What a, what, a, what a collection of studs back in those days. They got screwed by the ref, Tim Donahue, remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, that corrupt ref that uh, screwed them over. And yeah, that was a team that should have done a lot better than they did. But, you know, when you're the Kobe Shaq era, uh, it could be difficult to pick up some dubs in the Western Conference. But 
Yeah, no doubt about that. Oh, what's, well. What what's it like doing the, the, the show in, a, in a, such a hockey-crazed market like uh, Toronto for the Maple Leafs? It, I mean, obviously, you're always guaranteed gold content, but uh, especially if they're losing or whatever. Like, Say they only, only lose like two games in a row and everyone's going crazy. It's, uh, it must be exhausting. Uh, I think that's fair to say. I think something with the Leafs right now in this season in particular is like we all know they're a really good team, right? Are they going to you know, win the Stanley Cup? Are they going to win a playoff series? No one really knows. But at the end of the day, what they do against the Anaheim Ducks on a Wednesday night or the Detroit Red Wings on a Saturday night, it's pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things at this point in time because we know they're going to be in the playoffs. We don't know who they'll play, but we know they'll be in the playoffs. And the entire season, the entire focus is going to be predicated on whether or not they can emerge from the first round. So the hockey media, this is just what we do. We had to generate storylines. We can't just be like, well, yeah, they lost, but talk to me in the first round of the playoffs or yeah, they won, but <laughs> talk to me in the first round of the playoffs. At the end of the day, Dubas and Shanahan and Sheldon Keefe and all the players will be judged purely mm-hmm. based on their playoff performance. So it can be challenging at times to look at one of 82 and be like, well, I mean, yeah, they played a bad game, but what does that really mean? You know, it's all about peaking towards the end of the season. So, you know, in the 70th game of the season, you know, right now we're probably in the 40th game of the season for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. So you got 30 games before, at least in my opinion, anything really matters. And sure, you got to make the playoffs first, but we all know the Leafs will make the playoffs. This will be far too much talent, but it's a very weird relationship that I think the fan base has with this Leafs team. Perhaps unlike, I guess maybe you can even look at it like the Sacramento Kings in the early 2000s where so much talent, but just never really able to get it done. And you hope the Leafs are more like the Lakers and less like the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> That's for sure. And I'm in a group chat of buddies uh, who are, most of them are Leaf fans. A couple of them don't like the, the team, but, uh, and, and I understand it's a big contract, but no matter what, Mitch Marner could score 500 goals this year and they still would be picking apart Mitch Marner and be hating him so much. And like, I understand the contract's not good, but it's like, will the, the, the Leaf fans ever give him a break? Because, and I, I, and I said to him, like when he, when he struggled for a bit, it's like, it doesn't matter what he's doing in the regular season. Like I said, he could score 500 goals. You guys aren't going to care anyway. It matters the playoffs. That's what he's going to be judged by. So it's just funny, like, he could score three goals and two assists, and it's like, oh, well, you know, those two assists were secondary assists, or, like, that goal was actually someone else's goal. Like, it, it, no matter what, incessantly, it's like, can't just just give the guy a break a little bit. Well, I mean, I think there's a number of ways the Mitch Marner saga could be looked at. You think back to the contract negotiations and how a lot of it was negotiated through the media, through almost intermediaries, by his agent and the Leafs, and how everything kind of was debated and all the news and information trickled out slowly through a variety of different sources. And listen, he got paid. He got paid almost $11 million per season. And as great as he's been in the regular season, it's deniable. He's one of, undeniable, I should say. Uh, one of the top regular season performers in the NHL. I mean, he was, he was first team all NHL for right wingers, or I can't remember the exact terminology they use in the NHL, but he was the top right winger in the NHL last year as voted by his peers. So that says a lot about how people around the NHL view him. And even look at the lot, I believe in the last 23 games that Mitch Marner played this season alone, Hound Dog, the Leafs are 20 and three. So Mitch Marner has a very positive result on the Leafs and their regular season play, but Mitch Marner has zero goals in his last 18 playoff games. Mitch Marner has been part of the Leafs 
flameouts in the playoffs the last two years against Columbus and Montreal. He didn't produce. I mean, we know that he hasn't produced a single goal in the last two playoff runs for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Mitch Marner, you're right. Could score 50 goals, have 175 points. But if the Leafs don't get into the first round, or at least if Mitch Marner doesn't put up a good performance, could not matter at, at any less. No, exactly. And that sucks for Mitch, but that's just a reality of the situation. And but the th- he has shown he like I think it was the first playoff series against Washington, I believe it was, and then maybe even the next one against Boston. Like he has shown in the playoffs in the past. It, it's easy to forget now, but he has shown he can do okay and pretty well in yep. the playoffs. But the last few obviously have been miserable. But it's just well, funny to me the, the group chat of buddies who just no matter what, it's just it's just incessant Marner bashing. It's hilarious for sure. And, and you know what the, the real difference is between Marner. Now and Marner then is the salary, right? If Mitch Marner is on a rookie deal and playing like okay in the playoffs, like racking up a couple assists, the the criticism would be a lot more muted. But he's making almost 11 mil on it in a salary cap uh, system for the Toronto Maple Leafs, where they pay Tavares and they play Matthews, they pay Nylander, they pay Riley, uh, and there's a lot of money going around between those five guys. So Mitch Marner needs to produce like an 11 million dollar players for the Leafs to advance and. At least in the last couple of postseasons, he hasn't. But the opportunity is absolutely there this year for him. So I'm hopeful that he's able to, you know, get it rock, get it rocking and rolling in the postseason this year, regardless of who the Leafs end up playing. And uh, it's going to be a lot of pressure on those boys heading into the month of April. No doubt about that. Mm-hmm, no doubt. And speaking of salary cap systems in the postseason, decent enough segue. Uh, NFL playoffs uh, last weekend. The, uh, we're recording this uh, before the AFC and NFC title game weekend, which uh, obviously is going to be amazing to watch those games. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, absolute, obviously, instant classic, crazy awesome game. Uh, what were your thoughts of the ending of that game? Uh, just a soul-crushing loss. They're very comparable Leaf fans with Bills fans. Like, if you're a fan of both, oh, my goodness, that's tough. Uh, I guess that is fair. I mean, I guess the Bills did go to four consecutive Super Bowls, and the Leafs haven't been to a Stanley Cup final since 1967. So I don't true. know how fair the comparison That's true. is. Good but point. I, Good point. I, I, of course, had a ton of bets on, on a bunch of – mostly overs. So that was good. That was my main side on uh, on the Bills and the Chiefs. And it was looking a little dicey as the game progressed, but heading into the fourth quarter, the teams just went bananas. But it was so much fun. I think what you saw on that Sunday night was – Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, who will probably go down as two of the top quarterbacks in the last 20 years, almost certainly. I mean, Mahomes already will for sure, but it's just two guys at the apex of their powers and the command they had over the game, not only throwing the ball, but I think even more impressively was the way that they ran it. Josh Allen was such a force physically mm-hmm. and Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's remarkable to see how much he ramps up the running in the playoffs. I think in the regular season, he averages, 18 rush yards per game and the playoffs is over 30. So it's a complete different ball game for Mahomes. And they both just put their athleticism on this way. They both led their teams in rushing and obviously passing. So it was just such a, an unbelievable exhibition of greatness. And I'm just hopeful we're privy to the same type of exhibition in the AFC and NFC championship games this week. Yeah, those four games. First time ever in an NFL weekend where all four games were uh, won on the last play, which was just an unbelievable uh, weekend. I can't recall. Are, are you a Bills fan? Like, uh, if you are, uh, no, you're not? No. Okay. Did you have I a, actually am a not team? a fan of – I do not have a team. Oh, I'm enough. so I think jealous. That, I think that, stems, that stems back from my degenerate gambling problems during university and even back in high school where – I just couldn't develop a, and it's because like I'm a, I would, 
I guess being in the media. Am I a Leafs fan? Uh, I guess. The Raptors, uh, the Jays. I think a lot of my fandom has been sapped up just by mm. – you know, I've only been working in sports media for nine years. But for whatever reason, it's kind of been chewed up and spit out my ability to cheer for teams. I just cheer for good storylines and what's best for my radio show. And, you know, obviously having the Leafs and the Raptors and the Jays successful is what's best because that's what people care about and that's what people engage with. So I suppose I do cheer for the Leafs, Raps, and Jays on that front. But with regards to the NFL, I don't really have a team aside from the team that I'm backing or the team that I'm fading on each particular Sunday. That's so jealous of that because I have a, good, a great buddy who's been on this podcast, Steve Dominey, and uh, he does he loves the NFL like crazy, you know, plays fantasy football, all that stuff, and he's always tripping me about the Seahawks or whatever. And I and in the moment, I always take the bait. And I always uh, you know rise to it and get you know upset when he's trip you know tripping Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just so jealous of him. I say, you know what, dude, you're a jerk because you don't actually have a team. You don't actually have that investment of all these years in one team. Like, I hate that. I'm so jealous of people who love the NFL but just don't have to have a team at all. Like, they, they don't care one way or the other. I, I'm so jealous of that because, yeah, watching those playoff games where you, you know, you're not actually invested in any one team, it's absolutely amazing. But, uh, man, this stress when you actually have a squad, it's, uh, it's just brutal. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I guess it's kind of the same if, you know, if you have a sizable wager on a team and you just kind of change your allegiances every single week. Like for me this weekend, I'm heavy on the San Francisco 49ers. I like them to cover the three and a half. I like them to win the game outright against the Rams. So I will be having my nine, my, uh, you know, (laughs) my Jerry Rice uh, old school Niners jersey ready to go. For uh, for Sunday afternoon, and hopefully my boys come out because on Sunday I'm joining James Duffy and Lindsey Hamilton on the Niners bandwagon, mm. and then we'll reevaluate for the Super Bowl if they get there. Speaking of Jerry Rice and the Niners, so obviously at the end of his career, Jerry Rice was a Seahawk. I can't remember if I said this uh, story in the pod, and uh, so uh, maybe five or six years ago or something, I saw a Jerry, uh, uh, what I thought was a Jerry Rice jersey at like a, for like two dollars or something, and I thought this was so cool. I have this Jerry Rice jersey. I'm going to pimp it. You know, I'm going to wear it. Everyone's going to be like, oh, man, that's so cool, right? And then uh, some, a buddy of mine pointed out, because Jerry Rice uh, was 81, uh, the, the jersey was 18. For some reason, I have no idea why. I was just so excited to see Rice on the back of that Seahawks jersey. I bought it. So excited to, to show that to everyone. Turns out I was wearing a Sydney Rice jersey, a Sydney Ooh. Rice jersey. So I was, you couldn't uh, have swapped out the number. I don't know what number Jerry Rice wore as a member of the Seahawks. I think it was 81. But, I'm pretty sure that's why I was like, uh, I, oh, man. I was just like, I was so heartbroken that I was like, oh, my goodness. Are you serious right now? Sidney <laughs> Rice, he had some good years with Minnesota, though. So don't forget that. No, Seahawks, for some reason, love uh, they love uh, trading or acquiring like Percy Harvin, Nate Burleson, Sidney Rice. They love, uh, they love to get their Minnesota Viking uh, former receivers and bring them in, but... Yeah, I, oh, it looks like Sidney Rice wore, or sorry, Jerry Rice wore 80 for the Seahawks, but uh, nah, completely got that well, one wrong. You know, that's, that's I mean, tough. For, two, for two bucks, you can't really go wrong with a <laughs> Sidney Rice, Jerry Rice, yeah, Len I, Rice, whatever it is. I mean, it's, you gotta you gotta make the investment there. It seems like a steal to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, back to the Bills uh, Chiefs game, the overtime rules in the playoffs, but. It just uh, and it's unfortunate. It was such an amazing game. And then, uh, what are your thoughts on just the one team winning the coin toss and potentially winning it right then uh, with a touchdown? Yeah, I, I think that if for the regular season, I don't really care if they want to keep the the overtime rules consistent with what they have now. 
Well, in the playoffs, each team needs the opportunity to touch the ball. I think that is indisputable. And you can point to you can point to stats historically speaking, in the regular season and the postseason, the team that gets the ball only wins X percentage of the time. I think it's like fifty six percent. But in the postseason, under these rules that they have put in place where you need a touchdown to win, it's I think ten and one, the team that gets the ball first. Wow is uh is the winner of the game so we knew that was the case on sunday night with the chiefs and the bills whoever wins the coin toss wins the game that's mm-hmm. exactly what transpired so yeah I, I think that there's ways to alter it i don't know if the nfl needs to go full cfl in the way they do things and i'm far from a uh a nfl rules expert as far as what they should or shouldn't do but one thing they shouldn't do is have a game like that decided by a coin toss and you could point to, all right, well, defenses, they have the opportunity to stop them, which I understand is true, but good luck stopping Patrick Mahomes the way that, that he was going on Sunday, or good luck on the other side stopping Josh Allen. Because you could probably, was, that seems would have just gone up and down the field. Clearly the defenses were exhausted. They had no chance against those guys. And Mahomes just went right down, and that touchdown at Kelsey at the back of the end zone was it for Buffalo's season, which is heartbreaking. And I think that the NFL needs to revise what they're doing. For sure. And speaking of another game that was amazing, the uh, Brady and the Patriots against uh, the Falcons. Uh, of course, New England was down 28-3. That went to overtime. Same thing. New England got the ball first. Brady drove him down for a touchdown. Like, the Super Bowl in overtime is amazing. And for that to end just on Atlanta not, not even having a chance now, they probably would have goofed it up anyway because they were choking their guts out in that game. But still, you know, an awesome game like that should not be decided on a coin toss. Uh, Absolutely. At, at least for the Couldn't playoffs. Couldn't agree more. And, Couldn't uh, agree more. And speaking of Brady there, uh, there's rumblings that he possibly might retire by the time this podcast comes out. Maybe he will have. I can't for the life of me think he would actually. Do you think he's uh, he's going to retire? I don't think he will, but I think he should. I think this is the perfect time for Tom Brady to retire in that. I think when you're coming off a Super Bowl victory the way that he and the Bucks did it against Kansas City last year, kind of overcoming the odds in his first year, Kansas City's the favored side. And Brady's the Super Bowl MVP. You can't retire then. But I think now is the perfect time to retire. You led the NFL in passing yards. You led the NFL in touchdowns. And you're still at the top of your game. But you know what's not at the top of their game? Is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their future. It's very questionable. Chris Godwin's out. Antonio Brown is, who knows what that dude's going to be doing this time next year. But I can tell you, he won't be playing football for Tampa Bay. They've got a bunch of free agents. Brady's going to be a year older, and I'm not betting against Brady. I'm not saying that he's going to fall off a cliff, but the last thing anyone wants to see is noodle arm Tom Brady like Ben Roethlisberger this year with the Steelers or or uh, Peyton Manning back in, what, 2014, 2015 with the Denver Broncos. No one wants to see that, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there's at least a risk of it happening. Tom Brady should not be – should not be taking that risk. He doesn't need to. He's accomplished everything there's, uh, there is to accomplish in the National Football League, and he's good now. There's, it's just, dude, you're good. Just pack it up. You're 45 years old. Hang out with your kids. Hang out with Giselle and kick back and accept that you're going out on top. And and there's a huge difference between looking at, like, Barry Sanders and Tom Brady's clearly the apex of quarterbacks or of NFL players as a whole. Going out in this manner at this time, I think, for Tom Brady would – cement him and he doesn't need to be cemented anymore but it's just be the perfect way to walk out he doesn't need to prove anything this is it this is when you should hang him up that being said brady's still way too good and way too competitive he'll probably be back regardless 
of my excellent advice. No, I mean, you, you laid it out perfectly there in terms of what he should do. That sounds, that makes total sense with everything you're saying there. But I just think he's so competitive and, you know, they, you know they're coming off the, the Super Bowl last year and obviously they lost a heartbreaking game against the Rams. I just feel like, you know, I hope I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't mind of him retiring. I wouldn't mind another team in the NFC not being so good against, you know, to maybe screw over Seattle's chances. But, uh, or, I, I don't know. I just or don't see it. Brady, Brady could leave Tampa, find a way out, get traded. I was thinking maybe that. go join, maybe go join the San Francisco 49ers. He's a California kid. And, you know, we all know Garoppolo's a stiff, so it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Trey Lance learns under Brady for one year, San Fran with. Debo Samuel and that amazing defense. Maybe there's some <laughs> merit to that idea, but no, my guess good. is it's bucks or bust for Brady. And I think it's bust. I think he's going to hang him up. Well, uncertain, but I think he should. Right. You know, very true. And actually, yeah, as much as uh, it makes sense to go to San Fran, I hope not. My goodness, the NFC West is hard, as tough enough as, as it is for Seattle. <laughs> my God, that division's so hard, but uh, that's actually no a, a pretty good call. Um, no kidding. Uh, we were talking about betting, of course, earlier, uh, and also I mentioned the TSN Edge. So what do you do for that, uh, for the TSN Edge? Well, I do a lot of CFL stuff, actually. I have developed a quite a very unique skill set, unique niche with regards to CFL prop betting alongside my good friend and our former colleague, Derek Taylor, mm-hmm. who I know has been a guest on your show uh, in the past as well. And we do something called the Prop Masters segment, where we delve into the props of each CFL week. We've actually made our way to the NFL as well, and we've been pretty successful this season. But the CFL offers a very unique opportunity because the books that post the odds, let's just say not the sharpest numbers. So we're able to take advantage of it through our statistical formulas that Derek has has uh, kind of developed over the years and the way he's kind of consumes Canadian Football League. Football is a very statistically driven analytically driven process so we have a lot of inherent advantages over the way the sports books post the numbers so that's been a big success and and uh hopefully a lot more fun stuff to come with the with tsn edge because as we're well aware ontario and canada as a whole the legislation nearing for single event wagering so that should yield a lot of opportunities in that space for a lot of different people i think it's uh looks like tentatively it's going to be early April when that uh, might become a reality finally. The date you're talking about is April 4th. Uh, Canada, at least Ontario, will be the first province to uh, dip their toes into that water. We'll see how it goes. You know, Ontario has been so successful in rolling out cannabis that I'm sure gambling will be just as lucrative for our government. And I am being completely sarcastic when I say that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, do you have any... Um future uh, uh, hot uh, tips or bets that you're looking at. Uh, the one thing that I was saying to Derek Taylor when I was uh, talking to him when he was in the podcast, I do wish uh, for the CFL betting they had touchdown scores because I love doing that for uh, for hockey. Uh, sorry, for uh, NFL, I love doing touchdown scores. And for hockey, I love doing next goal score. Those are the type of bets I like because there's a lot more money. It's obviously a lot harder to be right, but there's a lot more money in it if you are correct. And uh, they're, they're fun to do those bets. Could not agree more. And they did have them for the Grey Cup on a number of books. So I'm hopeful that next season they are incorporated to the CFL as well. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The anytime touchdown scores, the first and last touchdown score, those are great NFL props that really engage a broad audience. And I'm hopeful again with the legislation here in Canada in April, by the time June rolls around, 
the number of offerings on the various regulated sports books will include those types of things for the CFL. I think that's great. I think gambling is a big part of the CFL's future and how they embrace it's going to be very, very important in how this league's revenue model continues to develop. And we are well aware that the CFL has had its struggles financially, not only because of the pandemic, but in the years past. So the more creative, the more ambitious they get with regards to gambling, I think the better it'll be for the league in the long run. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, speaking of uh, touchdown scorers, the, the, a couple of weeks ago, the, the Bengals-Raiders playoff game, uh, I was with a good uh, friend uh, that you know, of course, Adam Scully, and we were watching yeah. I said, this this tight end that Cincinnati has, C.J. Zoma, he's really good, or he, he can be really inconsistent, but like sometimes he'll you know have 80 yards and have a monster game, or he'll have like 50, you know 15 yards or something. So I said, uh, but I said, no, let's bet on uh, Tyler Boyd, first touchdown scorer for Cincinnati. And, of course, I said, oh, my God, it's probably going to be Azoma. Sure enough, it was. Then the next time around, I'm like, okay, let's bet on uh, Azoma. Of course, it was Tyler Boyd. They didn't reverse the touchdown scores. And I was like, come on, man. I was so frustrated with that. And uh, so do you have any, like, a sweet, uh, or I guess not so sweet, memories of um, the worst gambling beats or the best gambling uh, wins that you've had? Uh, I guess we could start with the positive, and I very rarely do speak positively about myself, but I did win a rather massive tool in the, for the Masters last year, and it was all thanks to Hideki Matsuyama, who actually won the tournament. Mm-hmm. But if you recall on the 15th hole at Augusta National, it's a par five, and inexplicably, Matsuyama was, Bad. I think he was up three or four shots at the time. It was done. And he went for it in two and hit it long and it went in the water behind 15. And I think he made bogey or maybe double. And everybody surrounding me in this pool had Matsuyama. And that decision ultimately won me a sizable amount of money, which was a delightful, delightful experience. And also I need to give a shout out to Corey Connors, who made birdie on 18 uh, last year. uh, That really pushed me over the top. So it was those two events – uh, consecutively, I think they happened within a couple of minutes of one another. Connor's finishing out on 18 and Matsuyama going into the water. So that was a truly blessed moment. But I think still to this day, the worst gambling moment I ever had was a very high stakes fantasy basketball league I had back in maybe 2005. And yes, I was like 17, 18 years old, but that was my life at those times. Uh, I, I, was, I think I was a little bit ahead of my time, the way I consumed sports back in the day. But in any case... Like I think all the FanDuel and DraftKings DGens, uh, that was me 15 years ago. But I had uh, this this pretty significant lead in free throw percentage. And down the stretch, Kenny Thomas, a name I actually mentioned earlier (laughs) with reference to the Sacramento Kings, missed six straight free throws in the last three minutes of that game. 0 for 1, 0 for 1, 0 for 2, 0 for 3, 0 for 4, 0 for 5, 0 for 6. I lose free throw percentage by 0.1%. And I think that that cost me like $9,000. All he he needed to do was make one, one of six free throws that he was given the opportunity to take. I guess they were just fouling him at the end of the game. And I remember watching that and having one of the biggest meltdowns in my life. It was mm. extremely frustrating. And I hate Kenny Thomas <laughs> for doing that to me. That sounds but he was uh, a good player. It sounds fairly sounds. akin to a couple year, or a number of years ago in March Madness pool. I was dominating through like the first like basically elite, elite eight, I think it was, or something like that. And I just need one of the final six games to go my way to win this pool. And of course that all six of them didn't go the way at the at the end there. Whatever it was, maybe it was through the sweet sixteen, but 
that was just rattling. All I needed was one of the six games to go my way, and of course they all didn't. And I was like, oh my <laughs> god, you know. Obviously, you remember the the beats more than the wins, unfortunately. And you know, oh man, those ones stick to you. I, I remember in college, I think you know one of the first times I actually ever placed a bet was like the up on pro line. Of course, you remember the Saints Jaguars, all the la- uh, crazy laterals. And uh, I think it was like a $5 bet or something. I think I took the over in that game or something along those lines. What it had to have been. And the crazy laterals, it's like, oh, my God, they're going to tie this game. And, of course, Carney misses the extra point, which is that when it was then lower or missed the over because I'm sure someone would have won the game in overtime. And I would have been like $900 or something, especially in college. I mean, at any time, that would be amazing. But on a $5 bet. That's a lot of two-fours right there back in the day. That is very unfortunate. For the Saints to stay alive, pending the extra point by John Carney. And he missed No! He missed the extra point wide right. Oh, my God. How could he do that? Yeah, it was uh, pretty rattling. I think uh, <laughs> and um, the, actually I mentioned on this pod before, uh, speaking of the Masters, uh, 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 one of the betting books, uh, the year the Tiger Woods won. Thank God Tiger won, so it wasn't so bad because I obviously I love seeing that. But uh, Xander Shoffley was uh, posted at a hundred to one to win on this betting book. Everywhere else had him at like thirty-three to one. So I bet like, bet like twenty bucks on that, which was like uh, two, for two thousand, and w- which was almost three thousand Canadian. And he was tied with Tiger on that Sunday. Of course, uh, thank God it was at least it was Tiger. It wasn't like someone like Patrick Cantlay or whatever that won. But I would have won. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the betting book put him at a hundred to one. It was such a horrible mistake, and I almost well, took advantage of that. That would have been amazing. Here's my advice: anytime you see a bad line like that, which obviously was a bad line in 2019, you're getting Xander Shoffley to win any tournament at a hundred to one. Is it is preposterous? I remember Xander was brutal down the stretch in 2019. He was yeah. he was just puking all over himself on the back nine at Augusta National. But yeah, if you get those bad lines. On you've got to take advantage of them and maybe overextend it. You're wagering just a little bit. You throw fifty bucks, maybe a hundo on those ones because mistakes by sports books are very few and far between. So when they make those mistakes, you got to hit them where it hurts as quickly as you can. Yep, and I was so like I said, uh, I was you know somewhat crushed. But I mean, if it was anyone else that won, if Molinari had won, for example, I would have been like, oh, oh my god! But but you know, thank wasn't so God bad. for that tree, that little limb that knocked his yeah. ball into the water. Yeah, one of, my, one of my favorite golf bets actually, and I I could try this doing this a hundred times again, and would never hit. Uh, it was actually the biggest field too on the European tour. Uh, Shubanker Sharma was a guy I'd never heard of, but I said, you know what? Let's just do a random bet. It was like 240 players were playing this tournament. It was crazy how much more than normal. So I said, okay, I'll pick a number between 1 and 240. I picked 13, went down the T sheet, went to 13. I'd never heard of this Shubanker Sharma guy before. This is the first time I've ever tried this. He was 110 to 1. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll bet on this guy. I figured maybe he was like some, you know, uh, pro who, uh, you know, was, you know, a grinder who was maybe 40 years old or something like that. Turns out he was like a young up and comer. And I put five bucks on him. He ended up winning the tournament. So it's like, oh, that, that, wow. I could try that a hundred thousand times again. And I have tried that a few times since I haven't, of course, haven't <laughs> hit on that. So that one was an unbelievable one where you're like, no way. So I love this guy. So uh, I bet on him ever since he won another tournament a couple years after that, let a couple other PGA tour events, unfortunately fell off. And then the, just last week on the DP world tour, he finished second would have been another, like, just because I love this guy, like, cause he's a very uh, <laughs> random player. He's either really good or awful, which is perfect for golf betting. Right. And uh, so he's either, he's like 250 to one to win, which is perfect. And, and uh, unfortunately he didn't win. Oh, speaking of which, I forgot to mention uh, for the Bengals in week four, I bet on them to win the Super Bowl. 
Four bucks to win. Four bucks to win three hundred. So uh, let's go Cincinnati Bengals. Wow, very nice. I guess you got to ride with them on Sunday. I mean, Mm -hmm. no real value in hedging that one out. You're just a Joe Burrow super fan. You got to get your Joe Burrow jersey out. Jamar Chase, the boys, Higgins, Boyd, Mixon, and. Hope the uh, Bengals are going to be the ones ruling the jungle over Mahomes, right? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, well, I'll get you out of here on one final question, uh, Aaron. Uh, uh, Jordan Spieth missed the cut at the Farmers Insurance Open. He was uh, had the longest active streak of cuts made in the tour at 20. So obviously that's not in the case anymore because he missed the cut. He was 122 off of Tiger's record of 140 sec- 142 straight cuts, which is just ludicrous. What's the harder... Uh, um, accomplishment for someone to 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 better that would it, would it be the 142 straight cuts for Tiger or the 56 game uh, hitting streak by uh, DiMaggio? That's, I, mean, I, I think for me it's the Tiger for sure, and I, I think what you spoke and, and I think there have been guys I know like Ted Williams I remember Luis Castillo got up to the high 30s as far as a hitting streak and maybe the mid 2000s, but. I'm almost surprised that the DiMaggio hitting streak hasn't been challenged more. And I understand there's the specialists, you know, the lefty specialists that come in, the flamethrowers out of the bullpen make it a lot difficult in the later innings. But I just always thought that that was at least attainable, or at least guys could come come close to that. On the PGA Tour, Tiger's 142 cuts in a row is just it's just insane. It, it, it doesn't make any sense how that's even possible, and that. Just goes to show it's another in a long line of remarkable Tiger Woods stats. And I feel like you could fill a book on crazy Tiger Woods stats from like 1999 to 2004 and just his level of dominance over those years. And something I guess I imagine it will be replicated again. But yeah, for me, I, I, and this is actually a subject on our show this morning. We're talking about most impressive streaks because of that stat you mentioned of Keith Yandel becoming the NHL's Iron Man with I think 965 consecutive games played. I still think the most impressive streak in sports is Brett Favre's 297 consecutive games started. Yeah. As impressive as Tiger's cut record is, Favre started 297 consecutive games. Just pure insanity. At that position, the way he played it, the, the shots that he took, yeah. never breaking anything, hurting anything, and being out there for all those consecutive games is still, for my money, the craziest thing you'll ever hear. Yeah, no, that was absolutely amazing, uh, Brett Favre. But yeah, what a, what a fun quarterback to watch. And I still wish he was playing. I still wish every year for the last ten years there was still the Willie or Wonty type of thing. I, I I'd love that stuff, especially because he you know he wasn't on my quarterback on my team, so I wasn't like invested fully in it. I loved uh, I loved that back and forth every year. Uh, well, uh, Aaron, this has been an absolute blast uh, talking sports. We could probably go for another like fifty seven hours, but uh, I guess <laughs> I, I suppose I'll cut uh, cut it shorter than that. But no, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Hound Dog. Thank you so much for having me. That was awesome talking with Aaron Karolnik about the Leafs, the craziness that is the NFL playoffs, and his best and worst gambling beats. It's funny how the losses stick to you more than the wins, and betting on golf is extremely difficult, but it's so worth it if you're right. Speaking of golf, it was hilarious hearing him talk about his co-host, former NHLer Carlo Koliakovo, fishing on the golf course. I need to experience that just to see how he plays while being distracted by the fishies. You can catch their show first up on TSN 1050 in Toronto from 6 to 10 a.m. weekdays. You can follow Aaron on social media at Aaron underscore Karolnik. That's Aaron with two A's underscore K-O-R-O-L-N-E-K. Thank you so much for listening to episode 79 of the H-Dog Pod. 
The next one will be the historic Milestone 80th edition. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Howell. Breaking news, breaking news. Tom Brady did, in fact, end up retiring. Or maybe he didn't. We just don't know. Mm-bang. 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 Mm-bang.